Welcome, happy Easter. So good to see so many of you. Um, I realize for some of you tuned on, uh, tuning in online or in the room, this may be our first time meeting one another, so I wanted to introduce myself um, and say a little bit of who I am and why I'm here. I'm Taylor. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, this is my family. I brought a family picture. And thank you. One person went, ah. The nine o'clock service, they all went, ah. And I'm like, wow, that's all you needed. Okay. Um, yeah, so three girls, uh, five, three, one, and Stephanie, my wife, who's up in Cedar Rapids preaching this morning, and I'm here. So, uh, so glad to see you. Um, we started Infuse Church eight years ago uh, in a coffee shop in Tiffin with like a couple people, and that's about it. And uh, it's gotten a little bit bigger over the years, which is awesome. We'd love to see that. Uh, but most importantly, we started the church with the hope of creating a community of people where you could come no matter your faith uh, experience, whether you're skeptical of church, skeptical of faith, whether you got some good questions, uh, you've been away from church for a long time, or maybe you just want to be a part of the church at some time, um, that we just want to create an environment, a church community that you could come and be a part of and ask those questions and grow. And so that's why we started Infuse and uh, just walk with you through your journey of exploring faith and, and finding community. Okay, so that's a little bit about us. If you want more information, you can always talk to me after service, or can go to our website or watch previous messages online. All right, so let's talk about Easter. Um, I don't know if you've noticed this uh, through life, but life tends to have more questions than it does answers, right? Life tends to have, uh, be full of way more questions than we have answers for it. Um, we're going through this a lot with our kids at the ages that they're at, especially Elia, five-year-old, uh, Everly, three, is starting to get there, um, and then we have Easton, our one-year-old. And a great example of this was on Friday. This is, I didn't make this up, this actually happened. Um, we live on a farm, and if you've ever grown up on a farm or been on a farm, uh, generally farms have fly problems. And um, when you're on the farm, once the flies get in to your house, it's very difficult to get them out of your house without like massive fumigation, okay? It's just intense. So I have taken it upon myself to be like the battle commander of our fight, our summer fight against the flies. And on Friday, the flies started to come in, all right? And I have equipped myself for battle. Um, and I feel like I should get like sponsorships for this, but I have equipped myself with the Bug Assault 3.0. If you're not familiar, this is an amazing device. I don't know why you're laughing. This is very serious. It, it is very effective at killing small to medium-sized bugs. And it does so by loading it up with salt and uh, locking and loading and going to town, okay? It is way more effective than a fly swatter. I take this very seriously. So they got into the house on Friday, and our one-year-old, Easton, who's just adorable, you know, starting to talk, do that whole thing, sees the fly flying around, which to her is like a new thing in our home. Oh, we have things that fly in our home. That's super cool. And so she was kind of tracking it as it bounced between windows. And she's, ooh, ooh, you know, this whole thing. To me, I think she's like the spotter, the scout of our, you know, raiding party okay, identifying where the fly is. So I run and get the, the assault weapon from underneath the, um, I don't know why this is so fun. This is very intense, okay? I get it thinking I am going to take care of this problem once and for all. I'm going to keep them at bay. And so I go, and it's pretty impressive. I mean, I shot it across the table. It was on the window. I mean, it's just really cool. And my daughter's sitting here watching as she's eating her breakfast. And I shot the fly, got it, first hit, one and done, and um, that was it. And except for what happened next, which was the one-year-old now 
saw the fly fall. I know. And she went, aw. <laughs> and I'm like, inside, I'm like, aw. You know, now I have this compassion for this fly. And our five-year-old who's sitting over here, and luckily there was a lot of chaos, so it kind of distracted from the moment, because then she said, what happened, Daddy? You know, why is Easton, oh, you know, and then distraction ensued, and so I didn't have to answer the question. But the problem is we're in that stage where that question leads to another question, which leads to another question. So what happened, Daddy? Well, you know, had I had to answer, it would have been, well, I got the fly. Well, what do you mean you got the fly? Well, I shot it and killed it. Well, what does that mean? We're, is it dead? And yeah, it's dead. Well, what happens to a fly when it dies? I don't know. I'm just a pastor. I have no idea what happens to a fly. I mean, maybe some of you feel like you know what happens to the flies when you swat them and kill them, but I don't know. Do they go to heaven? I, I kind of hope not, but you never know, okay? I'll leave that up to interpretation, right? Because what is, that, what is the reality of life? Life is full of way more questions, and, and I appreciate the season of life with our kids, but it is also very challenging, especially when you don't know the answer, right? And this is something that a lot of us experience as we go through life. It's really frustrating when we have questions, but we don't have answers. When you take your car to the mechanic, no offense to any mechanic in the room, but when you take the car to the mechanic and you say, hey, it's broken, can you fix it? And they say, yes. And then they call you back and they're like, it's actually going to be more than we thought. And you say, why? And so they kind of explain it. And then you say, okay, so how much? And they're like, well, we really won't know until we get in there to figure it out, right? And you're sitting there like, okay, well, do I have to get a second job? Like, what, how do I approach this problem? It's frustrating when you don't have the answer. If you have a health issue, right? It's frustrating when, especially at the beginning of the process, when there's maybe a bit more questions than there are answers of solving your problem. That's the difficulty of questions. Questions without answers are difficult. They frustrate you. They can distract you in some big questions in life. They get in the way. They maybe slow you down. And we have a lot of good questions. I think more than, more than we admit to ourselves, certainly more than we admit to others, we ask a lot of questions. We may not say it out loud, but we think about it inside, okay? Um, and I know some of us, you know, some of you in the room especially, you know, you, we put on a good exterior, right? We act like we have it all together. We act like we know all the answers to every question. At least we want our kids to think we know all the answers to all of the questions, but we really don't know. And sometimes when you're, you know, especially like sitting alone or at night or maybe on a long drive and you're just kind of alone with your thoughts and, and you know, you turn off the podcast or whatever you have going on, you actually think about it. Sometimes, especially, especially during stressful seasons of life, um, when there's a lot of uncertainty and you have a lot of questions, you can ask some of these deep questions, right? You can say to yourself things like, am I okay? Because you're really not sure if you're okay. Some of you, if you're feeling especially vulnerable or hurting, you can think to yourself things like, am I broken? Is there something wrong with me? If somebody's angry at you or kind of bringing you down, you will ask yourself, won't you? You won't say it out loud. You won't tell your other people you're thinking about, but internally you think to yourself, am I broken? Am I the problem? Or maybe you're trying to navigate where you're headed in life and you'll ask yourself, should I be doing this? Should I be going this direction? As parents, especially as you get older and your kids get older, you start to ask yourself questions of like, did I parent well? Or did I mess up parenting? Or you think to yourself, are my kids' problems that they're struggling with today something 
that, is that problem a result of some poor parenting on my part? How do you fix that broken relationship in your marriage, in your dating life, in your family life? How do you say, I'm sorry for that thing that happened? Am I even in the right relationship for that matter? Some of you even go really deep and ask some deep, meaningful questions like, why am I here? What is my purpose? Or even better yet, what is my worth? Am I worth anything? Because life is like a bit of a puzzle, isn't it? You got all the pieces. This is like a 10,000 piece jigsaw puzzle. It's complicated. And you go through life and you're trying to figure out, do I put this piece here in this order? Or, and, and you got to put it not only in the right place at the right time, right? To get it to fit together, to actually make something that you look at and you say, wow, that's cool. But what's more frustrating than anything is when you get to the point and there's pieces missing. And what do you ask yourself? Where is that piece? And you have a question that doesn't have an answer and it's extremely frustrating because then you start a whole new slew of questions and doubts and challenges like, should I even started this puzzle in the first place? Am I even good at doing these puzzles, the puzzle of life? Am I even heading the right direction, right? It starts that downward spiral of questions. And imagine, I, I think we just have so much in common with the Easter story because if you imagine the Easter story, Jesus' followers, they're sitting there Easter morning, they wake up and they're thinking, did I just waste the last three years of my life following this guy who uh, taught some amazing things, who certainly did some amazing things. He said he was the son of God, but then he died. And what kind of God dies. Well, not a very good one, right? Right? We've heard his teaching. We've seen his miracles. We've seen how he treated people that were broken and hurting with dignity, but now he's dead. And so what do we do about that? They had questions. I have no doubt that you had like, is this, is death the end, right? Their friend. I mean, regardless of who Jesus was, they, he was a friend to them, right? They had given their lives in a lot of ways to follow Jesus. And so they're th sitting there thinking a question that maybe you've asked too, is death the end? Is there anything after that? Are, and are you sure? Are you positive? I mean, we hope that there is, but are you sure? Or maybe you've gone through a really challenging season of life or a loss or an accident or something that was unexpected. And your response to that was, okay, if God really cares, if God really loves me or loves them, where was God, right? God's son was hanging on a cross. Where was God? When Jesus yelled out, Father, Lord, why have you forsaken me? Where was he? I didn't see him because he died. And so the end result, some of you Christians, or you grew up Christian, you maybe walked away from church, you asked yourself the question, was my faith in Jesus misplaced? Should I even been doing this thing that I've been doing for my whole childhood or maybe a season of my life? Is my faith in Jesus misplaced? Now, some of us are like Mary Magdalene and the ladies, right? We get our spices together. You know, I think that I saw some Epsom salt and some other things. You know, you get your spices together and you're gonna go to the tomb and you're gonna figure it out. Is Jesus there? Where's he at? What's going on? What's the situation? I mean, to them, Jesus was dead. So they brought the spices to like re-embalm or make sure that the body was taken care of. To them, the answer was God was absent. To them, the answer is Jesus must not have been the son of God. He must not have been the chosen one. And so that's what they went to the tomb 
to figure out. And they realized that then the body was gone. And that led to a whole other slew of questions is like, where's the body? What happened? And it made the puzzle of life way more confusing. And then there are all the other disciples, like especially Jesus' 12 guys that were really following him, and, and probably there were some others there as well. Where were they? Well, they had answered these questions the same way. They said, well, it must not have been the Son of God. You know, it must, it, my faith in Jesus was misplaced. God wasn't there. You know, some of them were literally there when Jesus died. And to them, it's like, yep, Jesus, Jesus is dead. That's, that's all there is to it. And so where were they? Well, they had locked themselves in a room in a house, because they were afraid. John said it this way, and John, who was one of the disciples, like this, he's telling his own story, and he didn't write himself into the story very well. That's why I think this is a fairly authentic story, is they kind of wrote it in honesty. They didn't write the story, uh, that it, you know, embellishing themselves or making themselves look better. They wrote the story in what actually happened. They, here's what John said. He said, on, um, next slide, maybe not. Yeah, on the evening of that first day of the week, Easter, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Okay, so there they are, they're upstairs. And guess what? I mean, we kind of judge them, but we do the same thing, right? When something catches you off guard, you weren't expecting it, and you're left with a lot of questions and not answers, what do you do? You shut down, right? You don't wanna go outside. You don't wanna be around people. You wanna lock the doors, keep everybody out and process the pain that you're growing through, right? Trying to figure out where do you go from there? And that's what the Jewish, or the, the disciples were too because they thought the Jewish leaders were gonna come after them next. You know, they took out Jesus and Jesus is dead, so there's no hope and now we're next. So that's a terrible place to be, but that's where they found themselves. But then as we watched in that awesome video, put on by those kids, all of a sudden, they're hanging out and boom, Jesus appeared. It's like, where, how, what? John said, as he went on, he said, um, Jesus came and stood among them all of a sudden and said, peace be with you. To which they thought, as you would have thought, if a friend of yours or family member of yours died, you know, you're pretty sure, you know, you buried them. And then the next day, they're like, you know, popped up in their, your house all of a sudden, like, you know, as you're eating your cereal in the morning, drinking your coffee, and there they are. You'd, you'd be like, what? <laughs> How? Why? And probably a little freaked out a little bit too. You might be going for your bug assault gun, you know? <laughs> Who's that? Okay, you know, but see what Jesus did. And this is something that I think if you ever read the Bible or you heard the Easter story growing up or something like that, you heard John's version of the Easter story. In the middle of this, Jesus appears. And what does he do? He doesn't say, hey, everybody. He doesn't say, I'm back. What does he do? He says, peace, oops, back up. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. And we hear peace as in there's no fighting going on, right? Things are calm. That's not what the Jewish audience that was in that room heard. They heard something else. They heard a word that we talk about every so often here. They heard the word shalom, which is a Hebrew word. Um, if you go over to Israel today, you'll hear it all the time, shalom. It's a, it's a very um, 
biblical theme that carries throughout the entirety of the biblical story, throughout God's story. It's a Hebrew word. There's the Hebrew of it. You read it um, right to left, not left to right, as we traditionally do. So that's the start of the word. That's the end of the word. Um, in our English, it says shalom. And shalom doesn't, it does mean like there's no fighting, but it means a lot more to that. It means here's the puzzle and you're missing pieces, but then you found the pieces. You found that piece stuck in that thing, behind that thing over there. And you're like this 10,000 piece puzzle, I have found that missing piece. And now the puzzle is complete. And that feels pretty good, right? It feels completed. It feels like it was broken and now it's fixed. It feels together. This is a version of peace we don't talk about a lot, but it is such a central biblical idea, such a Jesus-centric idea. And it's actually an idea that I don't think we realize answers way more questions than we realize. It answers a lot of good questions that you and I have had over the years. And Jesus is trying to point out that he is answering all of the questions that are running through their head. Jesus says this phrase, in essence, to say, I'm good. I have been made whole. I died and now I'm alive. And I want the peace that I am experiencing, the completeness, the restoration that I am experiencing, all of the answers and clarity of what has happened and what's to come. I want that for you. Peace be not with me, but with you. To which you might say, well, I'm not sure if I have a lot of peace in my life. Or especially if you have a lot of questions, I'm not sure I have a lot of peace in my life. But to them, they saw an answer. The disciples, they saw an answer. And that's why they responded when John said, he goes on, he said, after he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, which were scarred, right? And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And why were they overjoyed? Because they had an answer to a lot of their questions. When you get an answer to your health diagnosis, when you get an answer to what job you should take or the next step in your life you should take or how to resolve conflict in your life or what to do with your finances or, or whatever question you have as regarding your purpose and your value and your worth in this world, whatever that is, when you have clarity around that, when you know the answer to those deep biting questions, it gives you joy, doesn't it, to put that puzzle together. And the disciples felt that. A few minutes before, they were full of doubts. They were uh, full of skepticism and concern. Those questions that we talked about earlier. Is death the end, right? Where was God? Was my faith in Jesus misplaced? And in a moment, they got their answer. They got their peace. And in a lot of ways, it answers a lot of questions we all have as well. And I think we've missed that, and we miss that in moments like this. I mean, think about it. And I get it, you have it all together, and you put on a good face that you know what you're doing in life, and, and you're paving a way, and, and you don't need any help, and that kind of thing. I get it, I do that a lot too. Like, we act to others that we have it all together. But, but just remember that time when you didn't. Remember that time when you had a lot of questions and you didn't have a lot of answers and it was overwhelming. That time when you lost a loved one, 
Maybe it was recently, maybe it was in the past, but it was somebody that you loved, that you cared for, and you lost them. And what do we do when we respond? Whether you're Christian or not, how do we respond to moments like that? We assume that they're in a better place. We have hope that things are going to be okay. Why? Why? Where does that come from? Imagine there was no resurrection, that nobody in history ever died and rose again and then told everybody about it and thousands and thousands of people believed and it changed the entire empire and exploded into billions and people, billions and billions of people over millennia trusting in that. Imagine none of that happened and nobody ever pulled that off. Would you have reason to hope? Would you hope and say and tell yourself and tell others, well, they're in a better place. They're, uh, I, I've heard it said so many different ways, right? They're, they're with the angels now or something like that, right? How do you know? Where does that come from? How are, can you be so sure? Now, in part, you could say, well, because I have no other option to hope. That's not necessarily true. You don't. You don't have to hope, but you do. I think part of that is what happened here is part of that is God trying to say, you can have peace even in the uncertainty of death. Why? Because I've shown you it's not the end. It doesn't have to be the end. Otherwise, what reason would you have to hope? We hope because a group of disciples were in a room and their friend and their savior And the son of God in a moment appeared to them and said, not hello, he said, I want you to have peace. I want you to be okay. I want you to be complete. I want you to be restored. I want you to know that death is not the end. Death is not the end and you don't have to fear it anymore. And they heard that news and not only did they hear it, they saw it. And they saw something so incredible that they told everybody about it, which you would do too, right? If that person, your friend, rose from the dead and was standing in your kitchen while you're eating your Cheerios, you'd probably tell some people, wouldn't you? And guess what they did? They unlocked the door. They no longer had fear. And if you start reading the book of Acts, you see what they do. They have no fear anymore. They're not locking doors. They're going out in the streets and they're telling everybody that they know about this good news that you don't have to fear death. Isn't that incredible? Yet so many of us, including myself for a couple years of my life, I I didn't want to hear that message. What do you have to fear about that message? Why is that message so scary that you don't have to fear death? That you can have peace that passes all understanding? What is so threatening about that message? Why would you not want to surrender to such good news? Have you ever asked this question? Where was God when that bad thing happened? When that unexpected thing came around? God, if you really cared, why weren't you there? The resurrection and Jesus answered that question too. Where was God when Jesus was on the cross dying? He was on the cross dying. That's where God was. That's his answer. Does he care? Absolutely he cares. He came to earth in flesh to teach, 
to love and to show us what love really is. And he did that. And then he willingly died for us. Because why? He loved, so loved us. Not to condemn us, but to love us. He was absolutely there. God knows what it's like to feel the pain that you felt. He was on that cross. He knows what it is to suffocate. suffocate. He knows what it means not to be able to breathe. He's been there. He's done that. And he has the scars to prove it. But it didn't end there. There was hope. He rose. And even, even in the midst of some of the worst moments of humanity, like that moment right there when you're crucifying innocent people, God was there. And it wasn't going to stop. Death was not going to stop God from bringing peace to the world and bringing and offering peace to you. You don't have to accept it, but he certainly wants you to know that it's there. Was my faith in Jesus misplaced? Some of you have asked that question, right? Did I waste my childhood growing up in the church? Good question. I wondered that too. Jesus came back and came to teach and show and started this thing called the church to show the world a light in the darkness, that there would be a group of people that would do some things, not always perfectly, but certainly lovingly enough to go out and serve others and love others and do things for its community and for its hurting and its broken simply because Jesus said so. And I don't know, that could be considered blind faith, but I don't think it's bad faith. I don't entirely think those who serve like Jesus served the world by dying on a cross, I don't think those people have hurt the world. I think those are the people that tend to bring out the best in our world. I don't think you can really ever go wrong when you actually follow Jesus and you love like Jesus loved, which means laying down your life for those, even those who would hurt you. What did Jesus say as he hung from the cross? He said, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. What kind of person does that? When you're on a cross with nails through your arms, a crown of thorns on your head, suffocating, who does that? Jesus. And I don't think you can be misplaced putting your trust in there. Sometimes you might be misplaced trusting Christians. Sometimes you might be misplaced trusting the church, but not trusting Jesus. Other things people have asked and wondered, wondered do I matter? The rest of the world may give you a different answer, but God's answer to you is yes. Yes, you matter. You matter so much you're worth dying for. Another question, how do I treat those who hurt me, who sin against me? Jesus said, you turn the other cheek because what do you do when somebody keeps turning the other cheek over and over and over again? At that point, it's not that you're hurting them. It says there's something wrong with you if you keep hurting someone who keeps turning the other cheek. Jesus met that brutality with love and patience and forgiveness and mercy just as God through Jesus treats us. We mess up and he loves us anyways. That's the sign of what's called good parenting. Even though your kids mess up, you still do what? You still try to love them. Even when you mess up, what do you try to do? You still try to love them. That's what God, through Jesus, a heavenly father, wants to do to us. And he showed us that 
on Easter? And there are so many questions and so many answers we could provide. And there's going to be some questions that we don't have the answer to. How do you, but we do try. Every Sunday we get up here, 50-some Sundays a year, and we talk about how to navigate fear, how to find hope, how to navigate pain. How do we parent? How do we treat our spouses? How do we manage time and money? And we do that all through the perspective that Jesus rose again. And how do we handle all of those things for a God who loved us that much and a God for whom death is not the end? That's what we do. And that's why you should be here next week. And that's why maybe some of you, if you've been hurt by the church, should go watch the last series we just got done doing for three weeks. And maybe that would provide you some clarity. Jesus didn't say, I want to bring you peace once. He said it again. Anytime in the Bible, they take time to repeat themselves, which happens a lot. They're trying to emphasize something. They're trying to make sure you get something. What did Jesus say? He said, peace be with you. And then what did he say again? John goes on. He said, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. Didn't stop there though. He said, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. If you have peace in your life, why would you not share that with others? Why wouldn't you want those that you love to have that peace too? If you feel it, why not share it? That's why Infused Church exists because we just experienced, I just experienced something so incredible that we just couldn't help but not share it. And the only way I know how to share it other than you know standing on corners out on the street is to start a church. Start a church and, and create a community around people who are trying day in and day out to follow Jesus and experience that shalom, that completeness, that those answers to the questions, and then to share that with others. Sometimes it's by putting on a community event. Sometimes it's by supporting a food bank. Sometimes it's buying mattresses to kids in Haiti. Sometimes it's being there for the church people when the church people are hurting and they're going through pain and suffering. Sometimes it's to be there for each other when you have too many questions and you don't know the answers and you just need somebody to be there. God wants that for all of us. God wants that for all of you. To experience that good news of great joy that I think is worth giving our lives for and sharing. Because you know this, the world needs it. The world needs it. You need it. I need it. We need each other to be there for one another. Not because we think it's the right reason or the right thing to do, because we know it's the right thing to do, because God showed us, God, our heavenly father, our creator showed us how to do it through Jesus. Life is gonna throw a lot at you. Like in the opening video to the, to the service today, there's, there's gonna be storms. And in storms, we always have more questions than we have answers. We're always gonna experience those moments as a part of life. And so sooner or later, we're all going to have to define or decide what we put the anchor of our life into. What do we sink our hope into? Do we put our hope in our possessions or our positions? Do we put our hope into, you know, making sure we have people around us so we're not alone? Do we put our hope into our bank statements? What do we put our hope in? What do you put your hope into that you look at it, you think about it, and it gives you hope? What is that? What do you anchor yourself into? Personally, I just don't know any other better anchor than God's love. 
thrown, shown through Jesus? What other anchor can hold us both in life and in death? Both when things are going well and things are going poorly. It is an anchor that you put into the rock and even through life, even when it's easy to just drift away, it holds solid. Not to just hold us there, but to bring us peace that we know no matter what happens, we can have peace. And to me, that is good news, to have wholeness and restoration, to try to put together the puzzle of life and know where the boundary is, know where the border is. When you make a puzzle, what do you start with? You start with the edge. God says, you know what? Let me be your edge. You can put the puzzle pieces together in any way, order you want to. You can build this half of the puzzle through your life or that half, I don't really care, but let me at least show you how to be safe and have peace so you don't get too far down the wrong direction. Put the puzzle together how you want. You have that freedom, but let me show you what it means to have wholeness. Let me walk you through the answers of uh, the challenges of life and the questions of life and help me to be your answer. That's good news. And that's good news we can have today. As you came in, I hope you got some communion elements. Everybody's welcome to take communion here if you want to. If you didn't, there's gonna be a couple of wonderful people with a little bucket walking around with some communion elements. And um, like I said, anybody's welcome to do communion. Uh, little instruction, um, on the top half, there's a little uh, transparent piece and you can pull that off and in there is the bread. We'll take that first. And then in the bottom half is um, the juice or the cup. And when we take communion, we take communion um, as a time of remembering. You can remember a lot. There is a lot to remember in communion. But the ultimate point is that Jesus stood before his disciples. Jesus stood before those who had lots of questions, just like we do, and said, I am willing to give everything for you because I love you, because you are my people. God says you are my children and I love you. And I will lay everything down for you so you can have a peace of peace in your life. After supper, after his disciples gathered, maybe in this very upper room, maybe in another room, he took the bread and he gave thanks for it. And he said, this is my body that will be broken for you because I love you. Take it and eat it in remembrance of me. After supper, he again took the cup. He said, this will be my blood poured out, shed for you because I love you, because your heavenly father came to earth to give everything for you. When you drink this, remember me. If you would, bow your heads and pray. Heavenly Father, help us. Give us the strength. Give us the wisdom. Give us the clarity so that, Lord, we know that this is good news. That this is hope. That this is love. That your son came and died, but he rose again. And you just didn't want that for you. You wanted that for us. 
You wanted that peace to be known to us, for us, so that we know that no matter what occurs in life or in death, you want peace. You want us to be complete. You want us to be whole and restored. That you offer us that gift of life. Life now as we walk through it today, living and breathing, but also life after death. That death is not the end. Lord, help us to not take that good news for granted. Help us, especially for those of us who are struggling or wrestling, you know, maybe this is our first time back in church in a long time, trying to figure out, is this really worth my time? God, are you really there? Are you really worth my time? Do you really care? Help us to have answers. Help us to keep seeking. Help us to keep asking. And Lord, however long that takes, that journey takes, you would give us the answers. That you would help every individual in here to know that no matter how far we try to run away from you, you will always be there waiting for us to come home, watching for us to walk over that hill to come home. You are the type of God who will run out and embrace us whenever we choose to come home so that we will feel your embrace and can trust your love and experience your peace. For those of us, Lord, who have made that decision to follow your son, Jesus, to be a Christian, to be a Jesus follower, that we would anchor ourselves in you. We would anchor ourselves in your love, in your truth, in your grace. That we would not let shame or guilt define us. No, we are free of that. That we do not let our sin and our brokenness define us. That we would instead let your love be the defining part of our lives. And in that, we would place the anchor of our lives. So when the storms come, when the wind comes, when the challenges and the questions come, we know where we are safe. We know that it's gonna get hard, that we're gonna maybe even sometimes fear, but that we don't need to because we are anchored in what really matters in something that is eternal. And that is a good news that we get to celebrate today, Lord. Help us, give us the wisdom and the, the, give us a community of people around us. Help us to take steps towards you, not away from you. And that you would be there as we do. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.